morning, church. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, which is one of the greatest chapters, one of my favorites. I want to read from verse 11 this morning. I want to spend a little bit of time dwelling in these words that Paul writes that I think are powerful words if we would apply them to our lives. Romans 8, beginning in verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Now, if you were to ask me this morning if I believe the Bible is true, I would say, yes, absolutely, I believe the Bible is true. And I would guess in a room uh, of people who have come to church this morning, there's a good chance that many of you believe the same thing, that this book has changed your lives, and it's the Spirit that moves through this book as well. But the more I get to thinking about this particular passage, this verse, uh, this week, I began to question how simple an answer I give to a question that's as complex as that. I mean, do you believe the Bible is true is a simple question in some sense, right? Yes or no, it should be simple and you should know, but, but when I look at this verse and then I look at what a life patterned after this verse, so a life that proves that I believe this verse is true, to think about the impact of, of that, I, I'm beginning to wonder if I truly believe that this is actually the case. I want to read this one more time, and I want you to think in light of that. Belief is not just what we confess with our mouths. Belief is what we put into practice in our lives. What would be different if we truly believed this with all of our hearts, these words? Romans 8, verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Do I really believe that? Do you really believe that? And what would be different if that was truly the case? If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power at work in that Spirit is at work in our lives. Think about, well, nothing would be impossible, would it? If it can raise the dead, then it can raise the small questions we have in our lives and and doubts and struggles. Consider the possibilities of this verse if we truly put it into practice. And that question about do we believe it's true is a great segue into the latest direct TV ad campaign on the settlers. Maybe you've seen this before? In fact, I want to roll this clip right now, uh, show one of those commercials. I love those commercials. I'm always waiting to find out what's the next one going to be, right? They live in the suburban neighborhood, but they're missing something from their lives. They have cable. And they haven't stepped into the new century, right, with direct TV, with satellite television, which obviously changes your life for the better if you have it, right? Now, it's an interesting idea, this whole idea of settling, which is what I want to talk about this morning. Because... uh, When I think about settling, I sometimes think about people sitting on their couch watching television, don't you? It's kind of ironic, the commercial, right? That if you just have the right input to your TV, that all your life's going to be better. No, the people who aren't settling are the people who are in on the action, the people who are in the arena, not the people who are watching those who are really a part of the action. And I want to read again this idea from Romans 8.11. Because I think the commercial makes a great point. The the point I want to take away from the commercial is, if there is a power that's greater than the power you're tapped into, why would you not want in on that? And I think Romans 8, read in that context, has a whole different story to tell us. I want to back up from verse 11 to verse 9 and read a little bit more in context. Hear these words in light of this idea of settling and the power that is available to us who are in Jesus. 
this is Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul's saying you have a couple of options here. You can continue to live by the flesh. You can live by your natural self. And we've all seen how that life works out. But there's a power that's available to those of us who are in Christ Jesus that we've seen this morning even in baptism that gets lived out in a whole new way when we commit to Jesus as Lord. And that's a life lived in the Spirit. Now, I want to welcome that power in my life. I don't know about you. I want the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit to be at work. Amen? How many of us want in on that? Last week I talked about the idea of what Jesus came to offer. He came to offer a specific kind of thing when he came to earth. And we talked about this from John 10, verse 10 last week. I want to read this again. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, Jesus came not just to secure for us our eternal destination, but he came to offer a kind of life, an abundant life, a rich and satisfying life. And I want in on that kind of life. But, but I would guess that many of us this morning would describe our lives and we would look at them and think, we could have more abundance in our lives. We could have more satisfaction than we're experiencing in our lives. And I think part of the reason is because we've come to do what the commercial talks about a little earlier. We've settled for a life that's not quite as connected to what God fully offers to us. And it's not direct TV. It's the Holy Spirit of God. So what would it look like in our lives to be more connected to that source, to live an abundant life? And and this morning, I've been praying this week that God would do His work in our lives so that we wouldn't settle. In fact, this morning, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to unsettle us so that we might live into the full meaning of what God came to bring us in the kingdom of God through His Holy Spirit. So let's begin with a prayer this morning, and then I'll continue with my message. God, this morning, I pray that Your Spirit would be alive in this room. I pray that what, whoever this morning needs to be unsettled, that they would be unsettled. For those that need to be encouraged, may they walk out with the encouragement from your Spirit. For those who need to take a next step and step out of the rut that they feel in their lives, would you prompt them in exactly what way to do just that? This morning, God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and that we might live more abundantly this week. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone who has agreed said, Amen. Well, this morning, I think this message can be applied in all kinds of ways. One of those ways is your relationship with God. I believe that many of us in the room have found a place that we've settled in our relationship with God. And my guess is that God wants to take us to a greater step of dependence on Him in relationship. But it's also true in other areas in our relationships, in our marriages and in our significant relationships. Many of us have come to a place of settling, settling for what is rather than stepping into more life. Some of us in our families, we're looking for a greater sense of, of, of we're into the purpose God's called us to and not settling for where we are. For some of us, it's in our career. We've, we've settled and we're not doing the best work that represents Christ in the way that we should. 
There are all kinds of ways we can apply this message this morning. Now, I want to set up this important point uh, that I want to make this morning by talking about the word settling, because settling has taken a very negative connotation in our culture. Years ago, it wasn't the case, right? There were settlers, and they would settle this land that had not yet been tamed. And so they may have walked up against the rocky mountains and realized it's time to settle rather than walking over these mountains, right? That's not a bad thing, right? They settled their lives somewhere. And there's a sense in which we want to, to have our lives settled in a sense. We don't want our lives to always be up in the air and in question. But I'm amazed by how often uh, settling really is a negative in our lives and how we come to a place and we just kind of land there, we plateau, and we don't continue to move forward in the ways God calls us to. So this morning I want to talk about this, and, and often this happens in this way when I'm in conversation with people. I think we, we, we rarely will say to someone, how are you doing? And the response is, well, I, I'm fine. I've settled for my life as it is. Usually we don't say it that way. What we say is, well, I'm, I'm fine. And yeah, we're happy. We're happy. And uh, yeah, the project that I'm after, it hadn't been completed yet, but I know we're on our way, and I know, I know that progress is going to come. Settling is a negative word in our culture. So I want to look this morning at what are the reasons that we settle? What are the reasons that we land where we are and we don't continue to move forward to God's best for us? And there's four reasons that I want to give you this morning, four reasons that we settle. The first is this. We settle because we don't know it can be any better. We settle because we don't know it can be any better. There is a settling that doesn't feel like settling. It actually feels like we're as far along as we've come, and we don't know there's any better that it can possibly be. We're in the best stage of our life, experiencing all the life we possibly can, not knowing that there's actually more to go ahead of. So settling isn't always a bad thing. It's getting to the place we're at and asking the question, God, what are you calling me into from here? So there, there is one sense in which settling isn't something about knowing what we can do better, but it's, it's just the, the stage of life we're in. For instance, uh, how many of you this morning had, had a car phone at any point in your life? I'm going to be real impressed by you this morning if you raise your hand. Look at that. Now, that was a big deal, right, in the 1980s? Maybe early 90s, right? That's a big deal. But then came the, the cell phone, right? And, and that was a huge step, right? That's a good-looking phone on Zach Morris there, by the way. You can actually talk on a phone that's not connected to a landline, not even in your car, but you can hold this thing separate and talk like, but who would have wanted a cell phone in 1984? I mean, the car phone was as good as it gets. Henry Ford, who uh, dreamed up the Model T and put it into circulation, he has this quote that I read this week that I think is really interesting. He says, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. I love that quote because there's a sense in which before we invent new things or step into new life, often we settle, but we don't know we're settling. It's just the best we can dream up with and come up with. In Scripture, there's a story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. Uh, this is in Luke chapter 16. It's about a rich man who goes unnamed and a guy named Lazarus who's a beggar at the rich man's gate. They end up dying, both of them, and, and Lazarus uh, ends up in, in paradise and and the rich man ends up in Hades, uh, burning in eternal torment. Not a great story in, in many ways. And, but this rich man actually comes to Abraham, and he says to Abraham, Abraham, you know what I'd love? I'd love for Lazarus to get to go back to earth and tell my family uh, about all that's going on. If we would just wake them up to the reality of the consequences, I know they would live a different life. 
And Abraham says, I'm sorry, that's not the way this works. There are people who know in the resurrection and they still don't believe. And, and what, what is the rich man trying to say? The rich man is trying to say, if I had known then what I know now, I wouldn't have lived life like I had lived it then. And he's saying, if, if I could just shake my friends and family out of ignorance, and they could know more what was ahead and what the consequences would be, I know they would live differently and they wouldn't settle for life as it is right now. And some of us in our lives, we find ourselves in this place that we don't know what could be better, and that's part of the reason we settle. And so sometimes we settle because we're ignorant. We settle because we don't know it can be any better. The second reason we settle, we settle because we believe we don't deserve any better. We don't believe we deserve any better. Some people believe that their, their current circumstances are the way they are because of maybe certain things they've done wrong in their lives. And it's, this is just the payment and the consequence for the life they've lived and, and their self-esteem shot. And they think, this is just my lot in life. In American culture, we tend to think that people can rise up out of the place they're in that they're born into. But in other countries, like India, for instance, there's a class and a caste system. And so if you're born as an untouchable, you don't have much hope of rising above that reality. Now, we don't live that way in America in terms of that. We think we can rise up and, and, and make a difference and change our lives for the better. Uh, but sometimes I see people and it's like they're living in their own caste system. It's like they've settled for life as it is and, and they, they just don't think any more of themselves. I, I'm thinking of a woman, perhaps, who's been abused by her husband. And instead of stepping out of that relationship, she says, well, this was the life that I knew from my mom. She was abused, and so was my grandmother. And so maybe this is just the way things are supposed to go. Maybe this is the cycle of sin that's now on me, and there's nothing I can do to get out of it. And what I want to call that this morning is a lie. Fate is not the way God has the world, and it remains that way. God wants his best for his children. So maybe this morning you're in a place and you feel like this is just the caste system I'm in and there's, it can be no better. I don't deserve any better. I want to call that out for what it is. It's a lie. God wants your best. He wants abundant life. That's why Jesus came into this world. And so don't settle for lie number two. Don't settle to believe you don't deserve any better. What's the third reason? The third reason we settle is because we don't want to put forth the effort required to improve our situation. We know it what it looks like to actually better our lives, but we know it's going to take a lot of work. And it may just be too much to try to take on. Um, it, it, it may have started in this way. It may have started when you were in school and, 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 and you knew what it would take to get the A, right? But it's just easy to kind of settle for the B. And you, you allow that, that thought process to continue and all of a sudden you find yourself in marriage and you know it could be better than what it is, but you begin to kind of settle and say, well, it, it's good enough. And at least we're not like so-and-so. We know how bad it can be, and we're not, we're not headed there. And so we just kind of settle for life as it is because we think the work to put into it would be just too hard to change things. Maybe we think that you know, if we really went into the mess of our marriage and tried to make it better, it would mean admitting we were wrong. It would mean getting into feelings that it's just easier not to get into. It would mean confessing some things and, and taking some new actions. Or, or then we compare ourselves with others, and, and we think, well, at least it's not like them. And, if you feel like you're in a rut this morning, whether that's in a relationship or whether that's in your relationship with God, any place in your life, if you feel like you're in a rut, there could be, there could be a good chance that you're settling for something that's not God's best for you. Some of us this morning, it's not these things. It's a sin struggle. That We've been in this pattern and in this rut over and over again for all of our lives, and we've lost hope because 
we just don't think it's really worth the work to put in. Or maybe we've lost hope that it can be better. This morning, I want to wake you up from that kind of thought. God wants to redeem and restore and to reconcile you to himself and to others. It can be better. Or maybe I need to take this to physical health for a moment, right? It's hard to lose weight and get in shape. And it might be worth it in the end, but who wants to give up bluebell ice cream every night, right? And so we make these half-hearted attempts, right? We, we say, well, Monday's going to be the start. And it's like after six months of Mondays and getting back to Friday the way it always is, we kind of believe, well, that's for somebody else. It's not really for my life. Take this in any arena in your life, and it's amazing how we make these half-hearted attempts and we give up hope. But the reality is it does take work at times. And, and it's enough with the excuses if we want to make it better. There's a story in, in Numbers chapter 13 where God is speaking to Moses and Israel's about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is commanded by God, send 12 spies into the land I've promised you. And I want you to bring back a report of what you find there. And this is what we read in Numbers 13. This is the report that Moses receives back from those 12 spies. Numbers 13, uh, verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Starts with a really good report, doesn't it? This is worth taking until that first word of verse 28 comes. But the people who live there are very powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, which I think we all know what that means. I don't have a clue, but it's not good, right? The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread, uh, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We've been through that before, yeah. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. What's their report back? It's, it's great. There's fruit. It's the land flowing with milk and honey, but it seems like a lot of work to get this figured out. Here's the problem is that God had promised them this land. And that promise was not dependent on them doing all the work. That promise was dependent on them stepping up and stepping into the land and allowing God to accomplish what he had purposed. Which makes me think about my life this morning. How often has God already provided promised land and territory for me? And instead of stepping into it, out of fear I respond and say, you know, it seems like a lot of work. I wonder in your life the same thing. What are... What are those times where you know you've settled and God has already handed it over to you? If you'll step onto that land and you'll claim it, God's going to hand it over. But the response is, I, I, it just seems like more work than it's worth. And if that's where you are this morning, I, I want you to wake up. I want you to see that what God has promised, He will fulfill. That it, He'll direct your steps if you'll allow Him to. And the good news about this story is, there are two of these spies who get to enter into the promised land, but no one else from that generation does. And those two guys are Joshua and Caleb, the two who had brought back a report and not said, we can't do it because of who we are, but said, we should do this because it's what God has provided. I want to encourage you this morning, if, you're, if your response is no or it's too hard or it can't possibly be done, 
It's important that it's the will of God before you step into it. But if it's God's will, it will get done if you step into it. And right now, you may need that boost. You may need that confidence. You may need to step. When the, when the Jordan River is crossed by the Israelites, you know when the river actually recedes? It doesn't happen until their feet touch the water for the first time. And I think that's a lesson for some of us is we want that water to clear before we ever step up to it, don't we? But sometimes it takes putting your foot in the water before God parts the water. So maybe in your life right now, that's, that's what you need to do is you need to put your foot in the water and trust God to allow you to cross it. But that's one of the reasons that we, we settle is we don't want to put the, forth the effort. The fourth reason maybe true for some of you. The fourth reason is we, we've been wounded in the past. We settle because we've been wounded in the past. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You set up to do something big. You had a huge goal that you wanted to accomplish, and you were doing everything you possibly could. But eventually, it became too difficult, and someone shut the door in your face, and the wound that got opened up has continued to be there that has kept you from continuing to try in the future. I've, I've been there before. I, I had this big dream that I wanted to accomplish, and there were people that stood in the way and I gave up on the dream because I thought that God must not have spoken clearly to me through it. And you know what I did? I shrank back, and I stopped putting everything I could into it. Because once you're hurt, you don't want to pour every bit of effort into things. Do you? you start to shrink back. You start to do less. You start to not give your best in these situations because you begin to say, these people don't deserve my best. And maybe it's the work project that you pitched to the boss, and he ended up you know, getting rid of it, or maybe... Maybe it was a weekend getaway that you were trying to improve your marriage and you, you set up this big surprise and all it ended up in was a fight and you said, I'm never going through that trouble again. So we have these wounds in the past that keep us from trying and stepping in with our best and it keeps us from the future that God has for us. Here's the problem with that. When we don't throw ourselves completely into it and you fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life right now that you feel like you're settling as a result of past wounds, we, when we hold back our best efforts because of what have, has happened in the past, we're allowing our past to dictate our future. And the future is not dictated by your past. If it's God's will, it will get done regardless of what the past says about it. Because failure doesn't mean it can't be successful in the future. Failure allows us a chance to learn, doesn't it? How many, how many of you have grown and it's been because of the wounds and the failures and the problems in your life? And sometimes we need to have people come up on stage. We've got to have a Sunday where we do this. We invite people up on stage and say, here's the failure in my life, and here's what God's done to get me past it. Because we forget those stories. And we forget that that can actually happen. We give up, and that's the end of it, and we settle. Sometimes we stay on that plateau when God's wanting us to move forward, but it's those wounds that keep us back where we are. Church, everything is about confidence and terror. Confidence and terror. Everything we do is a combination of those two factors. You were terrified, any of you who made a proposal to your spouse, even though many of you probably knew the answer before you got down. But there's something about putting yourself forward that you know it can be pain on the other side. So there's terror in a moment like that. There's, there's terror in all kinds of moments in our lives. You were terrified when, when you, need, you knew you needed to be fully honest about who you are with another person. There's terror in that. We're terrified. You can fill in the blank all in your life about things you stepped up to, wanting to do, dreaming big, and you had terror in that moment. But here's the truth. You have confidence because of those past moments too. Because the proposal was a yes. You have confidence because 
you shared yourself fully and you were fully loved and received in return. Maybe not in every instance, but there have been these moments that have given you confidence that no matter what it is, you're still standing. Actually, you're sitting here, right? And sitting here is proof that you got past whatever it was. So there's confidence along with our terror, and it's a combination of these two. Everyone is terrified. Even the most successful, rich, wealthy people in the world, they're terrified when the next venture comes if they haven't settled. And part of that is you know you're alive when you feel that terror. When those butterflies come, you know you're doing something significant. When you lose that feeling, maybe you've given up on the dream. When I first stepped on this stage to preach for the first time about 18 months ago, I was terrified. And a lot of you were terrified too when you saw me. And we're still here. The building's still standing, right? It's all this mix of confidence because of past situations that God has gotten us through and and terror at the prospect of what might happen. It might fail. You might lose everything. But the moment you give up trying and risking and with the possibility of failing, you're, you're dead inside. It's the end. It's the rut that you settle into. There's a passage in Scripture where uh, this terror and confidence thing comes up. It's Matthew 28. It's the end of Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus has risen from the dead and He's appeared to His uh, disciples and several others. And In Matthew 28, Jesus comes before them and He's about to ascend to heaven and He, he, he shares this message with His disciples. And His message is this. He says, go. Go into Jerusalem and Judea. Go to Samaria. And he didn't say these words, but he's saying to the ends of the earth, go to Galatia and Thessalonica and Ephesus and go to all of these cities, to the ends of the earth, even go to Rome. And I want you to share this message that's going to change the world. I want you to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. But he doesn't stop there. Do you know where he stops? He stops with a word of encouragement that I think right now, as you're thinking about whatever it is that's the settling you're doing in your life, there's a message that he ends with that you need to hear this morning. It's Matthew 28, and it's the the last part of that chapter. It's in the, the second half of verse 20, and this is what it says. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That doesn't end with those disciples. It's to the very end of the age. He's talking to us. So whatever it is right now that you need to fill that blank in with, wherever it is you're settling, it's time to step out of that. It's time to believe again that it's possible. It's time to bind up those old wounds and not forget them, but allow them to scar over and tell the story of what God did to take you forward. Romans 8.11. I want to leave it with you again this morning. The same power. Is it work raising Jesus from the dead? Is it work in your lives? Is living in you? If we believe that, what would be possible? That's my prayer for this church. Is it the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that people would see that in us? It'd be the same stories we get to tell one day when we get to walk across the stage and say, "Here's the utter failure I had, but here's what God did." So this morning, I want you to go. I want you to go and conquer the giants, rather than. Talking about the giants being too big. Just go and write that book that you said you'd always write, that you always struggled with the first word with that blinking cursor. I want you to go and book that weekend trip with your spouse that there's that wound in the past to believe that it could be better in the days to come. Go, go do it. There's no reason to give up your life and settle now. God is calling you forward into abundant life. Don't settle and consider the possibilities because He is with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray.
we close our time this morning. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the words he spoke to those disciples so many years ago that it wasn't just a mission that he was calling them on. It was a presence that he promised to them wherever they went. God, we are pretty much the outer parts of the earth from Jerusalem. Your message has gotten here and it continues to go forth from here. And God, I thank you for each one in this room. And wherever settling has happened, God, I pray you would call us out of that. You would wake us up. That you would unsettle us, God. And that you would send us forth with this truth that you, the same power you used to raise Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And you promise to be with us always. Thank you for that promise, God. For without it, this is not about what we can do on our own. It's about what you do in our lives. And we thank you for the healing. We thank you for the scars that tell stories of your work. We thank you for what you're going to do in the days to come. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.